down but not dead. Okay, you're going to work with me today. I'm preaching, as Gabe preached from Mark uh, last week, the book of Mark, and as a, as a team, a staff team, we've been reading through the book of Mark. I want to preach from Mark chapter 9 this week about this incredible story where a father brings his afflicted son to Jesus. And um, I don't know about you, but this scripture moves me in so many ways. I love the scripture. It, it's partly to do with Jesus sorting out the disciples for their silliness and their stupidity. Yes, I can relate to them often. It is partly related to the fact that deliverance happens and demons are real and God brings freedom. And the Christian ghostbusters get excited when they see demons start fleeing and the church comes alive. And if you're from a charismatic past like me, you know it's meant for some exciting church services through the years. And uh, then there's freedom that comes to this young boy. There's the crowd that's seemingly always there, but so important in the story. But the thing that pulls me in, the thing that, that moves my heartstrings, that reminds me of who I am and how fragile I am, is the desperate father crying out for his son, crying out for Jesus to move upon his son and bring freedom and life. So I want to read from Mark chapter 9, and then we're going to pray. Come on. You guys excited? If you didn't see Mpele dancing during worship, you missed the whole thing. You literally missed it. I have it on video, so I will share it later. Mark chapter 9, Jesus heals a boy with an unclean spirit. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed. Say amazed. You read the book of Mark, this word appears all the time. They were just amazed all the time by his power, his authority, his might, his ability to speak. And it happened and ran up to and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing with them, about with them? And someone in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, sorry, I just need to move. My iPad's telling me it's full. Just thought they'd be helpful. <laughs> Not helpful. And he fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you moot and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lift him up and said, and he arose. And when he entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer, some versions say, and fasting. Spirit of God, we come to your word today. We ask for freedom for the afflicted. 
We ask for comfort for the painting. We ask for life to flow where there seems to be just a corpse. Marriages, emotions, brokenness. Come, Spirit of God. For nothing is impossible with our God. For nothing is impossible. All things are possible for the one who believes. Thank you, God. Amen. It is so good to be together wherever you are. We've got a few people in the room this morning, which is amazing and super excited. We're going to have a good time, and I'm so excited for the freedom that God wants to bring today. So I have four points today. I know I'm mixing it up. I had nine points, and now four, not three. I know. Stick with me. Point number one, there is devastation in distraction. Come on. It's not just Gabe that can have good points. There is devastation in distraction. Just recently in July, I drove up to Durban to see family. It is a long trip. It's about 18 hours of driving. You just keep going, like the road, and get to the crew. It's like, oh, it's just straight. But I realized something, that it only takes one split second of distraction to, total, to bring total devastation to an 18-hour journey. And I thought what I'd do, I'd been on holiday, I thought I'd go into a podcast and listen to my friend Gabriel Phillips preaching. So I was distracted for a millisecond on a straight road, trying to get a podcast, and all of a sudden I felt like, and you're on the middle path going onto the opposite lane where destruction would lay if it so happened in that way. And I, I'm so grateful it didn't happen that way, but it, as, the, as the blood ran through with ice cold kind of shivers running through my body and adrenaline beginning to pump, I realized that it just takes one moment of distraction in an 18-hour trip where you have been so focused, aware that my three kids are in the car, aware that other people are on the road, focused, but one moment of distraction could have brought devastation. It's the same in life. But I want to tell you, church, miracles don't happen when the church gets distracted by the scribes. And I want to tell you that when our arguments get the glory, Jesus doesn't. And so what happens in the story is it amazes me. Just before the scripture I read, in, in, in Mark chapter 9, verse 1 to 13, it speaks about Jesus and the transfiguration. And Peter, James, and John go with Jesus. up, And there's this moment where the Spirit of God comes upon him. He is radiating like Hollywood teeth. He's just white all over. It's just his clothing is white. He's just radiating. And then it's even more amazing. The voice from heaven speaks, this is my beloved son. I mean, could you imagine the scene? It's like Jesus is just shining and the Godfather is just speaking words of affirmation over his son. And you know what Peter, James, and John do? Because I want to talk to you about the scribes in our lives. Peter, James, and John. You know what their first question is? It's not, what, is it, what does it feel like to be so loved that your father just speaks from heaven? Beloved? What does it feel like to radiate with the glory of God? I would want to know those things. I think their first question is this. And they asked him, why do the scribes say the first Elijah must come first? Their first concern after God speaks from heaven above and Jesus is radiating, their first concern is, why do the scribes say that? Please understand, the scribes of the day were these clever people. They were the ones who put contracts together. They were the ones who wrote it down. They had all the knowledge they could read and write. They knew the, the books of the Old Testament. They knew the stories. They, they knew that stuff. They were well equipped. 
And they captivated Peter and James and John so much that even after being in the presence of God, the first thing I asked, why did the scribes say that? But then they come down, and the very first scene we arrive, it starts like this, is they arrive back, and the first thing Jesus sees is the disciples arguing with the scribes. Stick with me. I want to tell you the disciples were no match for the scribes. The disciples were doff. Let's just be honest. They had hung around Jesus. Their only power wasn't in their knowledge of the scriptures at that time. Their only power was exposed later in Acts chapter 4, where, where Peter and John were walking, and they encounter men. They say, silver and gold have I none. The, the Bible describes them in Acts chapter 4 as uneducated, common men. They were astonished that these guys could do anything. But there's this most amazing line. It says, and they recognized they had been with Jesus. See, we learn about the disciples, and I've learned about myself that the only time I have any power is when I've been with Jesus. And I want to tell you, I'm no match for the scribes. See, there's devastation and distraction because as much as they were distracted coming down the mountain, the disciples were again distracted by the same group of people, the scribes. Church, we're distracted by the scribes if we are fighting everyone on Facebook. We are distracted by the scribes if we spend our whole day reading the news and not reading the Word of God and placing ourselves in His presence and being with them. We are distracted by the scribes, and I'm telling you there is devastation because while they were distracted and arguing with the scribes, there was a little boy foaming at the mouth, dying, and a father dying inside. Devastation happens when we, the church, are distracted by the scribes. See, I want to tell you it's happening now. Deal with distraction. Even religious voices that seem good at this time can be distractions if they are not taking you to the presence of Jesus. Deal with the distractions in your life because when the church is distracted, we are powerless. When the church is distracted, we won't see miracles. And everyone's running around, where are the miracles in the modern church? And I'm telling you, we are so enamored with likes on Facebook and the News 24 that shouts the news to us. We forget that the good news is greater and will be there tomorrow when today's news will disappear. Oh, I'm excited. Secondly, this point, desperation defeats devastation every time. Desperation. See, while Jesus, the Jesus people, the disciples were arguing with the scribes, there was someone who wasn't distracted. And I want to give you an example of what it's like to not be distracted as a father going after your kids. This is a movie, yes, it's a little old. It's from a movie called Taken. And if you're a little sensitive to violence, don't go watch it. But this scene is too good. It is a father going after his daughter who has been pulled into a ring of trafficking and he's going to get her out. Turn your eyes to the screen. You already got them there. Stick with it. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you are looking for a ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I have acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. 
good luck. <laughs> Welcome to church. The lights can come back on now. But I remember watching this movie, not a father yet, going, if I ever have a daughter. My arms were gripping the seats of the chairs, watching that scene. See, this father was desperate. There's a whole crowd, and they're all arguing high-level thoughts about who God is, and he just wants God. And he shouts at me, my son, my son needs you, Jesus. Teacher, he doesn't care what anyone thinks. He doesn't care about the protocols of the moment. He does not care. He shouts out, teacher, and his desperation makes a way for Jesus' healing. See, the devastation was already at the door. It says this in verse 18. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. You're not talking about a specimen, a spectacle. You're talking about his son. It says, and, and from childhood, it has often cast him into the fire, into water to destroy him. You see, to everyone else there, this was a faith project, but to him, that is his son says, teacher, Jesus, my son. And if you're a parent and you've ever cried out, you know there's truth to the fact that you're only as strong as your weakest child at that moment. And everything they battle with and everything they fight, you cannot help but take upon yourself and go, did I give him that affliction? Did I give him that challenge? Did I put that into him when he was two years old and the psychologists say, you messed up? Forget for a moment, a minute, the Bible's talking about a demon here. But there are many different kinds of it's that steal from people's lives. And the point right now is that your high-level academic arguments on Facebook are not going to heal the sick. And they're not going to deliver demons. Desperation for Jesus, Will. Desperation for Jesus. So I know this feeling. I stood in a specialist office years ago when my youngest, who wasn't born yet, was, be, was born in a few months' time. We were so excited. We got pulled into a specialist office and said, he's got Down syndrome. Unfortunately, there's going to be a hard journey ahead. You should have bought. I remember going to a car park on top of Amshlanga Hospital going, Jesus! Come on, Jesus! I don't have high-level prayers. I've just got desperation. said this in verse 24, immediately the father of the child cried out, I believe, help me with my unbelief. See, people love to preach the scripture about the demons and they love to preach it about faith. And now you need to have this faith that is visible to God so God sees your faith and somehow he responds to your faith and this father says, I do believe, but I'm struggling right now. And I'm fighting a battle and I need to see the king of kings break in. Here, now, I'm desperate. Are you desperate? So I'm telling you, Desperation opens up heaven over our lives. Point number three, miracles happen when we see people, not projects. Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Say, bring him. Jesus doesn't say, bring it. Bring that demon to me so I can teach it who's boss. Jesus says, bring him to me. Bring him close so that I can bring him closer and send the demons fleeing. Because I'm the king of glory. And when I touch my kids, demons flee. When I come close, demons flee. When I whisper one word, demons flee. Afflictions flee. Depression flees. Pain flees. Jesus breaks in. 
See, miracles happen when we bring people to Jesus, not projects. And I want to tell you, church, we're at risk in this regard. We've done it so many times. I've seen it happen. And an accident happens and Christians start come running. Hey, I'm here. I'm here to exercise my gift in your story. I am the gift to you right now. I am the faith gift that will come. And don't get me wrong, the Bible speaks about faith gifts of healing. But I'm telling you, if it's not brought to Jesus in love, there is a missing link and a challenge in much of the church. And we're so excited to extend our gift that people become projects. And we miss the point when Jesus says, bring him. We keep trying to bring it to Jesus. And Jesus says, I never wanted it. I've asked you to bring him to me. Bring him. He's a son. He's in pain. He's been thrown into fire and water. He's been grinding his teeth down because he doesn't know what's going on. And at the end of the day, he's just fearful of what his life could look like unless there is an intervention from heaven. He's not a project for faith. Your friend with cancer is not your project for your faith. The person at your work with a marriage and he's a breakthrough, they're not your project for faith. A son, daughter of the living God, and Jesus says, bring him, bring her to me. Your child, bring him or her to me. Bring them to me. Bring them. See, we're enamored with faith projects, people, but I want to tell you Jesus does two things here. He see, he separates the him and the it, and I think that is glorious. Because as a father sometimes, even with the challenges in my own children and navigating their emotional challenges and the things that have afflicted them, I've struggled at times to separate the, the child and the affliction, the child and the damage, the child and the pain. And so I want to deal with it all together, but I can't. I'm called to love and I'm called to fight. I'm called to tenderly care for and I'm called to desperately defeat. And I do that on my knees before the King of Kings. And I'm called to bring him to Jesus. And I'm called to declare him be gone. Lastly, point number four, down but not dead says this, and when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you. I am the king of kings. I have a certain set of skills. Come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, see the demon gave it a go. He gave it a go. It came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. See, it doesn't matter what everyone's saying. It doesn't matter. The clever people, they can say he's dead. Those arguing, the scribes, they can declare him dead. The specialists of the day, they can declare him dead. He can look dead. He can act dead. But when Jesus says there's life, he's not dead. When Jesus says, I'm greater than any diagnosis, I'm greater than any pain, I'm greater than any fear, I'm greater than any brokenness in your genealogy, I'm greater than the DNA you pass down to your child because the DNA of heaven comes upon him. I am greater. We might be down, but we're not dead. And maybe saying, Mark, you're just, you're just pumping me up today, just getting me. I'm not trying to pump you up. I'm trying to show you Jesus. 
I can do nothing but Jesus. Your fathers on this earth can do, have all the money in the world and all the time in the world and all the everything in the world, but unless it's Jesus, we will remain down. And I believe as that child lay there, the demon was gone. But Jesus says, not just enough to set the demons out. I'm going to come in. I'm going to come in. I'm going to link in. I'm going to pour my spirit in. I'm going to pour my power in. I'm going to pour my life in, and I'm going to pick you up. Don't just stay down. It's not enough. I don't want to be down and free of demons because the demons will come back. Jesus himself taught us that. They'll go and get their friends and they'll come back in the house. It's not enough to come to church and get the demons free. Come to some deliverer and get the demons free. And we love to do it, church. We want to keep taking the shortcut because in everything in life, even the remotes on our TV, there's shortcuts to where we want to go. But sometimes the shortcut leads to more dangerous territory. Jesus says, I don't want to just leave you down free of demons. I'm saying you might be down, but you're not dead. Get up. Get up. Your marriage today, get up. Your emotions today, get up. Take the hand of Jesus, get up. Let the demons flee, but get up. Because the other side of you standing up, there's a crowd watching and they're looking for Jesus and their arguments mean nothing. I'm not angry. I'm desperate. I'm not frustrated. I'm determined to see the kingdom come in and through my life. And I'm determined to fight for the kingdom to come in and through your life. And the scribes are shouting, give us attention. And the temptation is there to pick up the weapons of arguments. The Bible says we don't fight the weapons of arguments we fight the weapons of God righteousness honor love forgiveness the spirit of God the word of God why stay down when you can rise there's devastation in the distraction oh there's devastation church there's kids desperate and they need you to be in prayer and not arguing. God, oh, Jesus heals in, in the atonement. No, he doesn't. He comes in this way. Who cares? He's Jesus. He'll heal however he wants to. Come on. I've stood in rooms over giant children as people argue each other theological points. And you know what it didn't do? It didn't raise that kid up. But Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one. He's the only one. Prayer. It says desperation defeats devastation every time. Are you desperate? I'm desperate for an appointment with a specialist. Good. Do what you can, but be more desperate for the King of Kings to break you. Be more desperate. Spend more time on your knees praying for the King to heal rather than an appointment. And watch the kingdom of God break you. Where there's no sickness, there's no affliction, there's no demons. See, miracles happen when we see people, not projects. 
People in your world are not projects for you to experience your faith, to prove to God that you love Him and that He should love you and somehow get a special place in heaven. They're just not that. They're His sons and daughters that He wants to touch and bring freedom and life to. And if you ever see them as anything else, as we all have at times in our journey of Christianity, we've got to get back on our knees and say, Jesus, remind me how you see me. Not as a project, as a child. And lastly, down but not dead. I want to declare to you today, to your marriage, to your financial anxiety, to the depression that's at the door, to the destruction which has been all around you. You were down, but you're not dead if you're listening to me today. It doesn't matter the debtors at the door. It doesn't matter the debt collectors coming tomorrow. You are down, but you're not dead if you're not Jesus. If you experience Jesus, if you get a hand from Jesus to lift you up, he will raise you up. If you're in the room with me, won't you stand? If you're at home, won't you stand? God wants to minister this morning. I, I don't even know if I've preached this well, but I know God wants to set the demons fleeing. And He wants to call sons and daughters to wholeness right now. I'm desperate for it. Are you? I'm desperate for Him. Are you? Get rid of the distraction even now. The temptation to go on and say, I'm not going to fight anymore. Don't even post that. It's a waste of time. Get in the presence of God. I want to pray for the afflicted today. I want demons to flee right now. Our market's online church and I'm on a couch and I might be watching it live. I don't care. This is Jesus. Right now, can you close your eyes? Maybe it's yourself. Maybe it is your child. Maybe it's your family. It's your friends. It's someone at work. Jesus, speak. Be gone, you affliction. Demons, casting children into fires, grinning teeth, bringing pain and destruction. Be gone now in the name of Jesus. Leave the sons and daughters of God now in the name of Jesus. You will not hold. You will not hold. You will not hold. Your time is up. Because there's a king with no limit to his set of skills, power, authority, and dominion. And he has set his children free today. If you're in a room alone, you're fighting a battle, or you're fighting a battle for your children, you're fighting your battle for a friend. Right now, say those words. Be gone. Oh, we've got to say it a bit louder, team. We've got to get a little bit. Be gone. Be gone. Be gone. Be gone. Jesus is on his throne. I want to pray for you to take his hand today. You've got to take his hand. You can fight all you want, but unless your hand is in the hands of Jesus, you don't have the power for the fight. Take his hand. Take his hand. Take his hand. Even say it in faith. Say, Jesus, I take your hand today. Jesus, I repent where I've tried to take it in my own hands. I've tried to fight. Try to manipulate. Try to maneuver. Try to fix it. I repent of trying to fix it, Lord. I'm desperate, Father. I need you to fix it. Father, we need you to fix it, God. Come, Jesus.
become Jesus. Church, I want to end with a charge today. As Jesus charged us, they asked us in verse 28, they asked him. And we did enter the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? Maybe you're asking that question. I've asked that question many times. It, it of depression, it of anxiety, it of pain, it of loss. And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And again, some translations say fasting, but it cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Church, we have a mandate to be a praying church. We have a command to be a praying church. To be a prayerless church is to be an army without a supply chain to it and we'll be in the battle, but we'll be powerless for the battle. We have a command. We have a mandate. We have a call. We have a charge from Jesus, his own words, because there are this kinds everywhere. And they're at the door right now. And unless we are on our knees before the King of Kings, praying and crying out in desperation, Jesus, my son, he doesn't need your reminder of the challenge, the affliction, the trial. He just wants your desperation. He wants you free from distraction and he wants your eyes on him. And he says, watch me. They think he's dead. They think he's down. Arise. Let us be a praying church, a pursuing church. Leave the arguments at the door. Put down the weapons you've been fighting with and pick up the weapon of prayer. And let us see the kingdom of God breaking. God is kind. God is faithful. He is with us. He is with you. He's setting you free. Amen. Amen. Amen.